Welcome to StartupRad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRad.io. No, you're not mistaken. Today is Monday and not Thursday. The main reason behind this in the US, our main market, there is Columbus Day, a public holiday. And so this is a Columbus Day special. As a special, we've been thinking what we can bring you. And then um, Alex approached us for a sponsored interview. So I would like to welcome you. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? Hey, Jan. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, people may not know, but we know each other for quite some time. And uh, we actually had an interview when you had a nonprofit organization uh, next to the business we're now introducing to our audience called Join Mainland. And we worked it together, full disclosure here. And um, that said, we've been talking before the interview, like this morning, you've been, uh, you've been sending me text message. Hey, how can I prepare? And I told you there are two options. Option one, you drink a whiskey and be relaxed. Option two, you listen to other podcasts I recorded just recently. Uh, did, did you go with option one or two? <laughs> well, I, uh, did go with option one, but, uh, I opted for the non-alcoholic version. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I feel I feel well prepared anyway. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Um, I do know a lot about you, and we, even though this is sponsored content, we are going to um go through a little bit your CV and what you guys are doing, and um eventually end up talking a little bit about what Emporium Ventures services are. That's it. Let us talk a little bit about what you did in the past because for example i know you've been to a u.s high school right uh yeah actually that's that's uh going going way back uh, was when i uh was in high school i went to uh, cordova high in uh in rancho cordova close to sacramento for half a year and uh, i'm a honorary uh, high school um yeah alumni <laughs> What did you do after that? What did you study? Uh, what brought you to um, found an agency? Actually, a very good agency because, admittedly, your uh, one of your co-founders is my most favorite designer, and he actually designed the logo and the appearance of StartupRate.io. Uh, yeah, Dennis, you're referring to my co-founder, Dennis. Um, yeah, we've we've been working uh, together quite a while. Uh, Dennis and I, and of course, uh, we always loved working with you um, and uh, supporting uh, StartupRed.io uh, because we very much love the, the podcast. Therefore, it's always a pleasure working with you. Um, about myself, well, I'm actually an economist by trade. Um, so I went to university after after high school um, studied first uh, the usual business administration then realized hey I actually like economics a lot and uh, while studying um, actually Dennis uh, approached me about uh, you know creating a product creating a startup and uh, we did so uh, back in 2014 um, with our first uh, yeah with our first um, digital product uh, which was uh, called Handle 
the social network. And the idea was uh, back in the day, uh, there was no real flea market or, or uh, customer to customer uh, secondhand market. So there was, of course, you know, um, eBay Kleinanzeigen and uh, a lot of people used Facebook groups. And we realized, hey, somehow this all is, is not really cool. You don't have any, uh, any legal certainty in there. And so we kind of had this idea of, of a great, uh, great crossover product of uh, eBay and Facebook. And, um, you know, first, first startup we ever did. And, uh, you know, how it is, we failed miserably. Um, we actually went to the point where we had uh, like, a, like a super cool um, MVP, but instead of um, looking for an investor as we should have done it, uh, we decided to become an agency. <laughs> and yeah, so over a few iterations of, of the uh, agency, we are now uh, a digital uh, product studio. Hmm, I see, see, a digital product studio, Emporion Innovations. Okay, um, so um, eBay Kleinanzeigen for everybody who's not from Germany is something that eBay turned into here in Germany. It's something I would compare it to like Rexless in the UK. Don't you think so? Correct, yeah. And you wanted to do something similar way before it was around? Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, if you if you look at these these Craigslist or uh, eBay Kleinanzeigen, um, basically what you do is you have someone who is pretending to have something they want to sell, and you have someone who writes they want to buy it, and then you kind of had to figure out how not to get scammed. And uh, same thing happened on, on in Facebook groups, so people were just posting uh, images, and I mean it worked kind of, but we thought, hey, this is this is a problem worth solving. Kind of create this social um this social marketplace um where you could create like these little niche groups of you know people trading you know each and every kind of of uh, little uh, niche market um i don't know kind of you know card game traders or you know where you're trading used used uh, electronics and you know we had a few cool ideas surrounding this um we we finally realized that we uh, you know after trying to to bootstrap it we at some point uh, Facebook integrated all this um, all this uh, buying and selling um, features they have now and at that point we realized okay this this product is is never going to fly um, because just Facebook solved the problem themselves. So you pivoted from a failed German version of Craigslist into an agency that is now also a venture builder can, can, can you take us a little bit on this journey because it sounds very interesting to me so how did we transform from um, a failed startup to uh, a digital product studio um, i guess you know what we did was we looked at the abilities in our team and we realized okay we have a great designer we have a great developer and we had me as a kind of business economics guy who was supposedly doing investor relations. Um, so uh, we decided to become a web agency and uh, we jumped through all the hoops. And what I can tell you is that creating a web agency from, uh, yeah, on the green field is like a super, super bad idea. Never do that. <laughs> um, 
So we kind of, you know, we created uh, a business for ourselves. Um, and at some point we realized, you know, firstly, just being a web agency is, is nothing we want to do. So this is simply not enough because, you know, only creating this, this, this web stuff is, this is nice and this is fun, but it's not comprehensive. So you don't interact with the business of the people. You just listen to them and then, you know, you, you kind of create this, this, this front end piece, but you never really get to the point where you can really create a business. And, um, at some point we, we, so also from our, from our own failed startup, we realized that, you know, there's actually two pieces realized. One thing is never, never, uh, build a product without testing, you know, if you, if you actually have a problem worth solving, And the second thing is, you know, it's, you know, all of you have heard it millions of times, but, you know, uh, fail, fail early and fail fast. This is, this is, and fail very hard. This is what we learned because never waste your time on something that will not work. Realize this early and then go on and do something else. And from there on, we created this, this approach of saying, okay, if you, If you want to create a startup, if you want to create a product, um, validate early if there's the, the most crucial part of your business plan, which is the demand side, right? If I mean, your whole business model can be awesome, but if there's no demand, uh, no demand, it's basically dead from, from the start. And um, well, this is, this is a service we, we started offering. Uh, we really quickly uh, got involved with uh, company builders and accelerators, um, our main Our main, uh, yeah, target group, our main, main customer group is, uh, well, company builders and corporate startups, uh, also uh, funded startups where we, uh, yeah, support in, in the process of going from, from idea to actual product. Given that you are under NDA and you cannot talk about any, um, real examples, Theoretically speaking, how would you approach such a product development? Mm -hmm. So now, now suppose um, there's a there's a, a team who's you know concerning themselves with with potential um, potential markets and potential uh, solutions. Um, what we would do is you know first establish who is the target group of your product. Is it a one side problem? So is it something a product that you sell or is a two-sided problem is this something where you need for example a provider and someone who buys these are super hard in, 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 uh, to, to establish because you always have a problem of matching but um, these are the two cases so and then we have to to uh, make sure that we all speak about the same target group so this is this is something crucial uh, that the whole team uh, as well as the uh, on the on the innovator side as well as, as uh, on our side understands exactly who the target group is um, you know personas can help or, or uh, you know just making very sure that we have all a clear may we add at this point that personas are your theoretical customers which you use to kind of develop to kind of uh, target your product and um, usually what's for me is every time um, A, a startup comes around and says, oh, our 
uh, persona is a guy male between 25 and 45. He has a college degree and he has above average income. I say, that's no person. That, uh, that, that's a whole population. So um, do, do you have some like clues on how to develop a real persona, something that is actually existing and not stretching like 20% of the population of a country? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is so personas can be done in a good way and they can be done in a very bad way. Uh, so the good way to do them is to understand what exactly you're using them for. And in my opinion, the persona is something to align everybody in the team to understand who this is for. So that the marketing guy, the uh, CEO and the developer, when they talk about what the, what the customer's problem is, they all know they're talking about the exact same person. And this only works when you give them names, when you give them a, a, a face, when you give them, you know, some where they work, what are their hobbies, uh, how would they, um, you know, what would be a statement that they would usually give. You know, this is something you do in the beginning completely based on assumptions. And then the more you talk to your potential customers, the more you try to find out about them, for example, you know, after knowing this is our assumption for the, for the or first assumption for the target group, Usually what you're trying to do is uh, you try to get someone to interview. So you're trying to find someone who would be your ideal customer and you try to discuss with him uh, what his problems are, what problems he's facing. And you do this, you know, with I don't know, approximately five people and then you come to the point where you don't hear much more or much new from them anymore. And... Um, this is the point where, you know, you kind of reach this saturated place of, okay, I now know what your problems are and I know how you would rate them relative to each other. So, and if you have, if you're lucky, um, the problem that you assume would be there is there and you are actually, you know, if you're trying to create this value proposition of we're trying to solve this problem for you, you might find someone who actually wants to spend money on this. And the persona is something that is, being done iteratively on the process and it will help guide you your whole development process will change but it will help all of your team to understand who your customer is what their problems are what they're capable of and what they're not capable of in terms of ux or you know something you you require them for example cognitive effort of of your solution and well this is usually the first step this is something that develops and one of our tasks we, we have is, you know, trying to, to find very early traction. So these teams usually have the, um, they have different ideas and different problems they, they, they suspect are there. And we're very early going in, you know, coming up with something called a burner brand. So uh, something we, we put out there, we can use that looks convincing. And we put out this this problem and this value proposition you have and say, hey, we're, we're solving, you have problem X, Y, Z, we're solving it for you. And we see, for example, put this on, on, for example, Facebook and check whether or not people click on it. And, you know, if you put a, put a lead gen form behind it, um, it will very quickly show you, number one, if people are interested, if, you're, if the target group you're targeting is interested, and if you even get email addresses from them, this is a problem so big that people just on the on the you know on this far-fetched idea, if I put in my email address here, I might get someone who solves this problem. Um, they they just give the email address, and this is this is perfect because if you get the email address, you can get in touch, and then you know 
do customer discovery interviews, you know, try to find out eh, what are your problems and who are you. Well, if if you get the email, you can get into the spam filter of the client. Just to interrupt you a tiny bit here, uh, my question would be uh, a burner brand. That means you take kind of similar uh, or the product of your client, brand it differently with something like XYZ and make a test so um, a potential competitor cannot really conclude where this product is coming from or it's totally new. And so the startup itself is not burning its name, but you do it as a, a dummy brand. Is that true? That is that is correct. Um, this is what we what we found is most sensible because it, it, it relieves the, the client from the issue of, you know, we cannot do this. We don't have anything yet. You know, this is usually one of the concerns you have. We cannot go out until we have something, right? But this is, in my opinion, not true because you need to you need to try early and you need to fail quickly. And in order to do this, you need to be out there because the only thing that will, you know, give you an indication if you do something worthwhile is if somebody is willing to use it. And if not, you know, stop doing it. Um, and, you know, having these burner brands just takes the pressure off the client we can do what we what we uh, believe is uh, makes sense uh, without you know having to check you know is this is this something that you know you are that would hurt your brand for example so we can go out and just put different problem statements for example and see which one sticks and give different value propositions and that makes everything a lot easier yeah um, what happens afterwards uh, well usually. Uh, you know, through this process, you are you're refining your idea. You um, get a better understanding of the problem you're trying to solve. So you're, you're, you're understanding who your target audience is. You know, they are there. So you continue in your process. And, you know, then there's a lot of ways to deal with that. Um, so if it's, for example, a B2B product you're, you're thinking about doing, you could create um, a, a sales pitch, uh, you know, a sales deck. Send them out to, to prospective companies and see if, if they respond, or if it's a product for customers. You know, you go, can go out and create these these you know smoke tests where you just put out a landing page, put down what your the the, the product is you want to use or that you want to sell, and uh, you know just put traffic on it and see how people react. And this gives you a very good idea if yeah if if this is worth your time again you know it's always about this checking if if something breaks and checking if your assumption that someone wants is it actually true um yeah and you know if if you if you realize okay this all works next step would be creating a prototype this can be so you know you probably all read uh, literature that talks about you know rapid prototyping and so you all know prototype can be a lot of things um so you can have, you know, a product prototype, pen and paper, you can create a website or you can put out a shop and, you know, spinning together different technologies to just very, very, very quickly get a super, super minimal product that, again, shows you at the end, validated if there's demand. And what is demand? What is the validation? It's someone spending money, right? And if someone spends money on your product, as a startup, this is usually something really, really cool to tell to your prospective investors saying, hey, we have someone who wants to buy it. Uh, also in a corporation, if you want to do a venture, this is something that shows, okay, this is this is worthwhile. We should continue doing it. Um, and yeah, this is this is the, the product 
the, the product validation part of it, of course, after after you've done the, the validation, the actual work starts. Mm, so, yeah. It pretty much sounds like you have a lot of experience in product development. Can you give us like the the two or three top mistakes entrepreneurs are making or corporates are making in their product development like wrong assumptions they 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 first want to have like the finished s class mercedes before they even go out or, or what are the, the the most frequent mistakes you're seeing there in product development mm -hmm. so There's so that the, one of the problems I often see is people disregarding their validated or partially validated target group assumptions. So, you know, if you are, know exactly which problem you want to solve, you know, you shouldn't start by start doing concept for your product that adds stuff that just doesn't do anything to solve this problem, that you just think it should be in there, but most. <laughs> Most, 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 most founders of some founders, I don't want to generalize, but this is a problem I've seen. If you are, if you're trying to do a product, realize that a startup is a feature. This is not creating this huge full Monty product that will, you know, solve every problem at once. You're just solving one tiny bit of a problem that is a real big pain for, for a customer. It reminds me of the app that was just able to send yo to another person, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was this was uh, a great, a great uh, is a great example. Sure, I mean, we don't know where this what this product actually solves, but it's fun to do. So probably it solves the problem of being bored uh, or trying to <laughs> trying to communicate with someone uh, without words. But yeah, I mean, this is. This is something you need to realize. As a startup, you're a feature and not going full Monty. Uh, second thing I would say that is one of these, these top problems is, um, yeah, um, one, one thing that, that also is, is sometimes an issue is realizing that what you're doing does not work. Um, so even if you go out and validate you need to come to the point where you tell yourself, okay, what I thought would work does not work. And you want to notice this early because some people kind of have the feeling, you know, my time doesn't have a price ticket, right? I'm not wasting money by doing something. But, you know, you only have a very limited <laughs> lifetime, so to say. So if you realize that what you do doesn't work, either iterate and, you know, you need completely disregard all the work you already put in. This is all worthless in the moment you realize nobody wants this product. So being quick and being agile in your head and saying, all right, so this doesn't work, so let's try something else. You know, Maybe you have learned something along the way where you see, okay, this is not the, the initial problem I thought that would be, but this is different, but still something worth following up on too, right? Um, this is something you need to always keep in mind and be be creative in your head and realize the moment this doesn't make any sense anymore, stop doing it, do something else. I think last but not least, <laughs> and this is of course uh, something that I or that we realized when we did um, our startup is you 
need to go out quickly and, you know, your idea is worth nothing. You know, ideas don't have any value, execution matters. So, you know, you, you need to work on your idea, but talk about it, get input on it and test it early. If you sit, you know, in your, I, I once heard the story from someone, you know, who was, who was, um, who was um, doing a mentorship and for someone, and this someone, you know, created this product and was sitting in their, um, in their basement basically for, for years, right? And they never went out and validated whether or not someone wanted this product. So always go out of the building, always try to find your customer quickly and, you know, see if what your, what your assumptions are is really true. If you don't do this, there's a very good chance that you're wasting your lifetime um, or your money. Um, and, you know, the customers, customers don't hurt you. So just talk to them and, and try to find them. Usually they don't hurt me, right? <laughs> Usually. Great. Thank you for those uh, very interesting insights. Happy to, to, to talk about them. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, how far does your um, service offering go? Is it actually like you are the outsourced product development for startups, for corporates? Mm, no, I think it's it's a lot more more involved with uh, the the people responsible for this uh, for this venture. So, especially in a in a startup or in a corporate startup or in the validation phase within a company builder, it's a lot of very close work with the founders. It's a lot of iterating. It's a lot of discussing and you know building your assumptions how something should be and then try to determine if reality is like your assumption and. This is this is basically the, the the whole process you have to go through, and this is nothing you can do as as you know some outsider where you just you know sitting there and then after after four weeks you send them a PPT and maybe a nice uh, uh, a nice presentation with warm words. This is it's it's really the real nitty gritty of developing a product and and scaling this. Um, this is how how involved we usually get. I see. Um, is there like a limitation in terms of geography where you're working? So usually we're working with uh, German German companies, um, but in in terms of validation, we we work in the European market uh, currently, uh, mostly in the German speaking and English speaking markets. Um, because, you know, to create something that is convincing. So if you're validating a product, uh, there's a lot of ways to do this, to, to check for, for traction. Uh, but usually it involves that you know the language well enough to, to create a value proposition and, and a copy that is convincing. So uh, as my, my Spanish or French is rather basic, uh, something, uh, well, you know, if you're going for, for example, if you're validating a B2B product uh, in Europe, you can usually use English as a as a uh, as lingua franca, so it's 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 well. But going for a for a B two C product, for example, in France or Spain or Italy, uh, this is something we we probably would have to to uh, brighten or, or or read up on our our foreign language skills. <laughs> mm.
I see. Um, we may also add people here and see a little bit on background of your office location. You are not actually located in Frankfurt itself. You are located in Offenbach and there is usually a rivalry. Uh, you may be able to compare it to something like, um, Maybe New York and Jersey City, uh, where Offenbach takes the part of Jersey City. Um, and there are a lot of jokes flying around on both sides. Uh, how do you feel about the cooperation between uh, Frankfurt and Offenbach? Mm, to be honest, I, I think they're um, far more uh, intertwined as, you know, either 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 city would... would uh, would care to say or care to admit. But to be honest, I don't really feel that there is a divide between the two cities. So maybe for all the people who might not know both cities, uh, it's like you don't you don't see where one city ends and the other one starts. Um, and there's a lot of people from Frankfurt moving to, to Offenbach. There's a lot of uh, uh, companies moving to Offenbach as well. At least that's, that's what I see. Um, so I guess, you know, in the end, um, this is all nice and good, but it, when, when it comes to, to doing business, um, at least in the demography I'm moving or I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm situated, I don't see that there's still difference between the two cities. Huh. Uh, we may also add that Offenbach is a very interesting multicultural city here in um, in the Rhine-Main area where there are uh, also a lot of very nice places, good restaurants and also increasingly high-end apartments. That said, um, right now um, approximately 80% of our vast audience is outside of Germany and when I talk to those people they do have the impression that Frankfurt is a little bit more conservative suit wearing uh, city where on the other hand uh, Berlin is like the, the the hip city where the innovation takes place um, we already eliminated the case that there are no beard wearing uh, yuppies in um, Frankfurt, uh, especially you with your beard and um, uh, less conservative looking. And um, also we may add that your uh, partner, your co-founder, um, Dennis, is also having like a huge beard as well. Um, how do you feel um, about the innovation potential here in Frankfurt? And where do you think Frankfurt has still shortcomings in terms of the startup scene of the innovation also in corporates? Mm. So to give you my very uh, personal view on this, of course, it's a little biased because I'm from the area here. I guess, you know, each city has something for themselves. You know, Berlin is is more of a, um, of a you know, a cluster so to say so you have a lot of um a lot of freelancers a lot of designers a lot of developers uh from worldwide who who live in berlin you know who are readily available there for for creating uh, a venture for creating a startup and it's very easy to find very capable people and it's a lot of young people so it's kind of you don't have these um, these overarching processes or mindsets of how things should be done, right? Um, while Frankfurt is maybe a little bit more conservative, um, it's but at least from so it's it's of course a city where there's a lot more corporates, 
where it's a lot harder to hire because the larger corporations pay a lot more uh, than, than startups are able or willing to. Um, but, um, and this is, uh, this is, I think, crucial, I always had a little bit of the feeling that whatever happens in Frankfurt is more, uh, how to say, there's, there's a lot more push behind it to make something happen, to realize a product. And while in Berlin, there's a lot of very innovative people, but often enough, you know, stuff just degrades to becoming like a, a side project. And sometimes this is definitely not for all because there are a lot of awesome startups in, in Berlin, but you know, there's maybe there's a little bit of this, this, um, this, uh, will to, to, to make it happen in, in Berlin while Frankfurt is, there's more, if it's done, then it's done. Right. So there's a little bit of the feeling I have. Um, but again, this is, this is very, um, very personal view on it. Um, and probably just captures part of the reality. What do you think actually? <laughs> hmm. It's, it's hard to say because, um, the people I'm interviewing here at startuprate.io, there is actually not a big difference between the people working in either Berlin or Frankfurt, Munich, um, Cologne, Hamburg, wherever. So, um, I don't feel there is like a big difference anymore. Admittedly, the, uh, VC numbers are a little bit higher in Berlin, but I do believe that a lot of stuff is flying, as we say, under the radar. Um, in many different cities and especially Berlin gets the most attention of the international press. That would be like my personal assumption right now. And of course, I'm also working to kind of correct this picture just a tiny bit. Um, that said, for what type of services would people be able to reach out to you guys? Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess uh, whenever, um, you know, there's, there's a um, innovation department in a, in a company looking for ways to, to validate their, their new product ideas, um, whether or not there is uh, company builders who want to offer, uh, you know, validation services within their, um, within their programs. Um, accelerators uh, as well um, also we can or what we what we uh, love to do is uh, help existing startups and corporate startups to scale so you know getting the first first clients you know establishing the the infrastructure getting the tracking right uh, getting uh, marketing right do it do everything customer centric and data driven Uh, at least as far as it is possible, um, uh, at least in the beginning, a lot of startups face this problem of not having enough data to actually optimize on, uh, just because traffic needs to be bought. But um, yeah, this is, I think these are uh, the services you can get from us, uh, these, this, this external uh, or the, the, the product team you need to, to uh, have uh, in order to iterate quickly with your product. Uh, and get traction soon. I guess this is where we could help. So the only thing left for me to say is thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you and hope to have you back on the podcast. 
Thanks a lot for having me. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.